turn to um, Genesis chapter 33. I want a couple of cover two chapters today if I can and and uh, not go in a lot of detail on on every part of it but um, that's something I want to share with you today okay uh, in in chapter 33 uh, we find that uh, well let me let me go back and, and mention chapter 32 for a second. Last week, we saw where God had dealt with, with Jacob and changed him. He had an encounter with God and he changed him. He changed his name, called him by a new name. But he changed him. And uh, uh, now we're going to find out where Jacob's going to go after he's changed, Okay in chapter 33. I wanted you to see this morning and we're going to look at this area. We want to see the backsliding of Jacob after he meets God. How many of you know that a great experience with God doesn't guarantee your faithfulness necessarily? Or a great experience with God and a great encounter with God does not necessarily mean that you've arrived at a place that now from now on you're going to so walk with God that you're not going to backslide anymore. You know that? That when Jesus said, he told us that if we're going to follow him, that we need to take up our cross, how often? Daily. Okay? And so we have to daily, be daily renewed, have a daily encounter with God in order to move with God. We, we tend to look for mountaintop experiences. We, look, we tend to look for those great experiences that are going to change our lives so that from now on we're not going to have any trouble. Or from now on we're going to be so holy and walk with God that you know now we've got it made because we've had this great experience with God. And uh, uh, the experience with God that Jesus was talking about was an experience every day with him. To be renewed daily, to have an encounter daily, to take up our cross daily, to die daily, to deny ourselves daily. And um, so uh, Jacob has had an encounter with God. There's no question about that, that he, that he, he wrestled with God and God dealt with him and God has changed him. But now we're going to see how he's going to react. You'd think, boy, he'd walk across that that creek, and uh, so powered, empowered with God. Now he's ready to face anything. All right. Now to get a picture, t also before I get into this, uh, let me just backtrack just a little bit, real briefly. Jacob, after he got the blessing from Isaac. And God confirmed, and he, and he fled because of fear of his brother Esau. And on the way out, leaving the land of Canaan, on the way out, he has an encounter with God at Bethel. Remember? And where he dreamed, 
and, he, and God spoke to him and promised him some things, and he promised God some things. He said, I'm going to go out, and if you'll bless me, he said, I'll come back here again, and I'll worship, you know, do it again. And so he's gone out, and he left, and God blessed him. And he's got a family and all these riches, all these sheep and cattle and so forth. And then while he was gone, God came to him again and told him to go back. He said, return, go back to the place. So, so he's on his way back to Bethel. This is what God has told him. God says, come back. It's time for you to go back. And um, all right, and this is the way he's going. I, this is why, why I wanted to say this. Uh, because he's on his way back to Bethel. God's told him to go back to Bethel. God's told him to return back. And, and he's on his way. All right? Now, first of all, the first step of his backsliding is found in verse 1 and 2. And I'll have to, uh, to, to say this to you. But it says, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came. And with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaidens. And he put the handmaidens and their children foremost and Leah and her children after and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Um, uh, unto his brother. His first act after having encounter with God is really needless fear. Okay? He's afraid. And he's afraid needlessly because he has promises and encounter and the presence of God with him. And he's afraid. Now I want to read you some verses this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 and it looks like toward the last verse 57 it says but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore now 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 the therefore is because of what went before right he has, it says that, that uh, thanks be to God who, has, who gives us the victory, the victory, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Get this is saying, because of our victory already in Jesus, we need to be people that move steadfast and strong and unmovable. What is that saying? Without fear, doesn't it? Right? If we already have the victory in Jesus, 
What's there to be afraid of? And we're to, to move how? Steadfast. What does steadfast mean? The same speed, it seems like to me. Huh? Steadfast. That may not be what it means, but that, but uh, same speed. I mean, you're moving out, move out at the same speed. How? Unmovable. Unmovable. Jacob has has security and presence of God and uh, and he's moving out in fear. He's not moving out steadfast. He's not unmovable. He's moving out in fear because Esau's coming. He's already been shown by God previously, not too many days before, that when Laban came after him and caught him, God wouldn't let Laban do a thing to him. God protected him. Although he was... And Laban came with all of his men, with all of his strength, and uh, Jacob had nothing, and God protected him. And now he's coming up against Esau, and uh, God's going to protect him again. But does Jacob know that? Huh? He's been told, but he's not acting that way, is he? All right? Now, let me... Um, Read another verse to you. Found in Philippians. Chapter 3. And verse 13. Paul wrote this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying here, forget about your victories. Don't rest on those. Forget about your failures. Don't rest on those. What are we going to rest on, by the way? What is it? What does it really come down to? What are we going to rest upon? Huh? Jesus and the promises of His Word. If He says it, that's enough, isn't it? Or is it? Is that really enough for us? Huh? Or do we need some new? encounter with God all the time. Isn't it enough that if God said it, that's enough? Or shouldn't that be enough? Huh? And God has promised Jacob his presence and security. Shouldn't that be enough? Isn't it time to not rely upon on your past experiences, whether they're good or bad with God, but to rely upon the now, the presence of God in His Word, in His promises. Isn't that enough? 
Um, you know, how long, how long, and I've, I've wondered about this myself, how long is it going to take us in our life to really come to grips with, with the Word that we will believe the Word and act on the Word in the midst of our circumstances. Not after the circumstances, looking back and said, well, I wish I had, or I should have, or before we're in the midst of it, and saying, well, I'm going to. You know, it's, it's easy to make claims. It's easy for me right now to stand here before you and claim what I am going to be tomorrow and how strong I'm going to be and how I'm going to trust in God's Word tomorrow. Okay? If anything happens, I'm going to trust in God's Word and His promises. That's easy for me to say right now. Right? When is it hard? Tomorrow, when the circumstance is bad. I mean, it's bad, and I've got to stand in it while it's bad. But the truth of what I really am and where I really am with the Lord at any given time is how I'm standing at that time. Okay? Okay, let's go on. Uh, back to Genesis. Genesis 33. Um, Jacob humbles himself, as we just read. He bowed to him and bowed himself seven times until he came near to his brother. He's humbling himself and uh, really submitting himself unto Esau really as being the elder again. Uh, but God's already settled that, folks. God says the elder shall serve the younger. Okay? God has settled that. And uh, Jacob has no business now bowing to to Esau because uh, Esau is the one that's going to bow to Jacob according to what God's word says. Uh, you know in Ephesians the 6th chapter it tells us about the enemy he says to stand, learn to stand. And he said above all it goes down to the 13th verse it says above all stand. Okay? Um, he's going to try to purchase from Esau uh, Esau's favor. He's, you remember he sent all those sheep and all those goats and everything out in front of him? And Esau says, what are all these things about behind him? He said, they're presents for you. Remember we looked at that last week? That he's going to buy his favor? Huh? Do, do you know whose heart uh, Esau, I mean who in whose hand Esau's heart was? Huh? You know that? I don't care how bold Jacob came back under God's promises. I don't care if he's got 500, 400 men with him or 1,000 men with him. Uh, really, Jacob has a place now of his promises that he can just stand. And 
it'd be up to God to, to melt Esau's heart or change Esau's heart or do to Esau's heart. You know, in Proverbs 21, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water, and he turns it whithersoever he wills. Let me read you Hebrews 13. I'm going to read you some verses there. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Let your manner of life be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, if, if, if Jacob knew that verse, he could have quoted that verse, couldn't he? I know what I've been promised, I know where I stand, I know who is with me, I know who my God is, I know who my strength is, and, and you've got to know that. You can't stand boldly without knowing that. But because of that, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men shall do to me. What's the worst men can do to you? Kill you. Wouldn't that be glorious? Huh? Wouldn't it be nice to be with the Lord today? I mean, the worst thing they can do to you is to present you to the Lord. Huh? Isn't that the worst they could do to you? I won't fear what men can do to me. He bows before him. He insists. He insists that his brother take these these uh, presents from him. And I, you know, still buying his favor. And the third thing he does is he lies to his brother. His brother said, you know, his brother forgave him for stealing the blood. He just made peace with him. Uh, Esau did. And his brother said, come on, we'll take you home with me. And Esau says, you go on before us. He said, we try to keep up with you. The cattle can't keep up and we'll die the cattle will die and the sheep will die. And you go on and we'll follow you. And we will come to where you are, to, to Seir, where, where Jacob, I mean Esau lives. He said, you go on and we'll follow you. We'll be there. And so Esau leaves and uh, Jacob goes another way. Doesn't go where he said he's going to go. Now, he lies to him. Now, this next part, um, let me just read verse 17 and, and share a couple of things here and then go into the next one. The next thing he does in his backsliding is fall short. Jacob journeys to Sukkoth and built him a house. Does that sound like he's going to follow Esau? No. Does that sound like he's on his way to Bethel? No. Now, when you're building a house, this sounds like you're going to do what? You're going to stay for a while, right? He's, he's, he's 
got home partially, but he's not at Bethel. All right? He made booths for his cattle, and therefore the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came to uh, Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, uh, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. Who does that sound like? Thinking back what we've already covered, who does that sort of sound like now? You know somebody that did something similar to this? Remember the lot? He kind of moved toward the city. He First he chose this land and then he pitched his tent toward Sodom and the next thing you know, he's making friends with Sodom and next thing you know, he's living in Sodom and the next thing he knows, he's compromising with the sins of Sodom and the next thing you know, he's part, just part of them. Remember? And here is Jacob doing the same thing. He's not going to Bethel. He's not heading to Bethel. He's come part way and he seemed, feels safe. And um, in fact, um, the name of the uh, she uh, Shalem uh, is the name of peace. You know, here, I mean, I'm, everything's okay. No use in going on. Things are pretty good. Okay? He bought a portion of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, uh, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of gold. Why, why buy some land if you're not going to stay? If you're not going to if you're not easing in to being part of them, why purchase land? Okay? Little by little. And, um, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. He hasn't forgotten God. You know, in backsliding doesn't mean you've forgotten God but you're getting yourself in trouble. You're starting to get yourself in trouble. You're, you're compromising. You're, not, you're going part way with God. You know, most of us would like to live like this. We'd like to put one foot over here with God and one foot in the world, you know, enjoy the blessings of both or the things that, you know, we like to live part in one and part in the other. Um, you know, compromise always seems to bring gain. That's why you're compromising. You seem like you're going to gain something from it. You seem like there's something big good that comes out of it. That's why I would compromise. God has told Jacob, separate himself from Laban and the world and come back to Bethel in Canaan. Come back to his father's house. Come back to the altar. He said to separate yourself from there and come back. And here he has come part of the way and he's in a compromising position. Alright? Now, partial obedience is always unsatisfactory with God. Is 
You hear that? Partial obedience is never enough. The classic example in the Word of God is when God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites and everything that they had and he failed. He did part of it. He did part of it but he kept part and he saved the best part. And, uh, and God rejected him. That was when God divided and separated himself from him that day because he only went part of the way. Now, have you read the story in, in uh, Genesis 34 about Dinah? Have you ever read that story? Okay. Um, I want you to read the story. I'm going to kind of tell it to you a little bit and without getting into the whole thing. But I want to show you some steps that uh, what it's going to cost them. What, what, what this, is, this sin is going to do and what's going on with Jacob. Um, we find that already they're compromising in the fact that he hasn't gone on with God. And Dinah had gone over to see the people in the land and the, the daughters of the land and said that Shechem, the son of Hamar, saw her and uh, uh, verse 3, and his soul clung unto, no, excuse me, verse 2, and Shechem, the son of Havar the Hivite, the prince of the country, saw her and took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clung unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spoke kindly. And Shechem spoke unto his father, Hamar, saying, Get me this damsel for my wife. Now, let me say something here. Let me, let me back up. Even though Jacob does not have the Bible to read, okay, he doesn't have the Bible to read, he's still got God. And all the principles that you and I know and that, that we can take the Word and we can find them in the Word of God and even over in the New Testament, many of the principles... And the, you know, I, I've been reading in the Old Testament lately and I'm finding more and more and more statements and scriptures in the Old Testament that I found just in the New Testament that I thought were New Testament phrases that I found in the Old Testament. In other words, that they used them in, in writing the New Testament. They used the Old Testament to write the New Testament. You understand what I'm saying? Many of the things that even Jesus spoke himself, he was simply quoting scriptures from the Old Testament. And we think that they were Jesus' sayings. And they were Jesus' sayings, but he was quoting things from the Old Testament. They're in there. Okay? And all that men have need of today to walk godly is found in the Word of God. But we also have the Spirit of God within us. That is our teacher that is explaining and revealing things and things that we have not even read yet. Okay? He can guide us even when we don't know all the words. 
He can tell us what's right or wrong. He's able to do it. He knows the word, whether I do or not. Do you know I have had at times, and I've heard people share this same thing. They, uh, some of them come to them with a great need, and they don't know what in the world to, to say to them in that great need. And they're sitting there talking with them and sharing with them. And they begin to quote things and say things that they never have ever remembered reading or memorizing and begin to quote things that later they find in Scripture. You know? God just brings it to their heart or their mind and here they are sharing things that they never remembered ever reading in Scripture or bring up something that maybe they've read and never memorized and, and be able to just quote the whole thing to them. Okay? But what I'm trying to say about Jacob is that Jacob knowing God the way he knows God knows what's right and wrong you can't fault him because well I, I didn't know I didn't have the scripture for that I didn't know what's right or wrong God is teaching him God's been guiding him all, the, all, all along here I knew probably more about walking with God the day after I got saved than I do today simply because I was totally led by the Spirit of God the day after I got saved. Things were sin to me that I never even thought was sin. And if I just kept on listening to the Holy Spirit when He was guiding me, I mean, that's probably the most pure time of your life when you get saved. And then you start learning and you know more than God sometimes and God's prodding you one way and, you said, and you're arguing with God even through Scripture. <coughs> If you don't have to do that or you ought to do that or can't do that or whatever when, when God's trying to, to, to guide you in the truth. Um, well, anyway. Jacob knows to be separated from the world. He knows that. He knows not to compromise. He knows that. He knows not to intermarry with the world because God's already told him that through his mother and father. Remember when he sent him back home to get a wife? Don't you get a wife here. Go home. Get a wife. Remember? He knew that. He's already had promises that God was his security in the strength. He's got all these things in him. He knows it. But knowing it doesn't make us act that way. You know, I, I've been thinking this week and, and praying this week about one thing. You know, my, my, my desire, you know what my desire for you is? My desire for you is that you uh, become a doer of the word. That is my desire, that, 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 that the word would be so much part of your life that you'd live by the Word of God and be a doer and obedient doer of the Word of God. That's my desire. I do not preach in any way for you to hear how eloquent or how... I, I, I got to thinking also, you know, I spend, I'll spend 45 minutes right now teaching. Okay? I started at 10 and I'll quit at 10... 45. I'll spend 45 minutes. And I know that when you walk out the door, you may not remember 
five minutes. And I also realized that spending that whole, filling that whole 45 minutes full of words and teaching and, and thoughts and ideas and scripture, that it is totally worthless and useless unless it falls on your heart and it and you become a doer of that word and it changes your life. We wasted 45 minutes. But I also know that I do not expect, I do not come expecting that through all the, the scripture and all the words that we share, that is going to change you overnight. I have not been changed overnight. And I only realize that there's going to be a little piece here and a little piece here and a little piece here and to where it starts falling into place and your life will begin to change and change and change and change. And you know what I look at? I go down six months down the road and then I check and see where you are. I go six months down the road again and I see where you are. And I see you changed. Whether you realize it or not, I begin to see you changing. And, and I know I, I've, in the past, in my younger years, I, in, in the past I had to restrain myself because I want you to change right now. I don't want you to wait six months. I want you to do it now. Okay? And yet I didn't change now. And you know where you really learned? You know where you really, you, you know where you really learned? You do not learn from studying this Bible and memorizing it. Do you know where you really learn? You learn when God puts you through the experiences and you have to be face to face and you have to be face to face with circumstances and you either have to hold on to God or not hold on to God or you need to act on the word of God or not act on the word of God and you learn that's where you learn and there's no other place now we can teach and teach and teach and it's important to hear it and to read it and study it okay it's not that you not shouldn't do that because it's what I have, I have studied and learned that when I get in the circumstances, God brings that to my mind and brings it out of my heart in order for it to become reality. But it never becomes reality in your life from textbooks. It comes reality in your life from experience. And those that hold on become mature and those that won't don't. And that's not why we can't live by these experiences that we have. We cannot live on those things, those mountain peak experiences and highs that we have. We can't live by them. I, uh, right after I moved to Boulder, um, Ralph Gossett had come and, and flew into Denver and I picked him up and he was going to take him to a place called Granby and I'd never been over there and I didn't know how to get there and I just looked on the map and I picked out a way to get over there 
And I didn't know we was going to go over the highest mountain in Colorado to get there. I think one of the highest. Isn't Long's Peak about one of the highest? And uh, because there's another way to go around another way, and you don't go over this mountain. And uh, we went over it, around it and over it. And you get up so high, there's nothing there except what they call, what is it, tundra? Is that what they call it? Just a little growth of something that, but there's no trees. I mean, you, you pass the trees. The trees won't grow up there. You know, just hardly anything will grow up there. And boy, it got uh, higher and the roads got narrower and, and we got up there and we could see every place. And that's what, fearful. You ever get up there where you can see every place, you can see straight down on some places. And, uh, but it, but it become less, it become barren and it's not pretty. It's pretty from the ground looking up at a mountain, but getting up there and looking at the mountain now on the top, it's not pretty. You're looking down every place is pretty, but up there it's not pretty, up on the bare places. And uh, you know, do you know where all the real green and the growth and the trees and the flowers are? You know where the fertile land is? In the valley. Do you know where we really learn? Do you know where we really have our greatest growth? is going through, going through. That's where our growth is. Peter, James, and John went on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, had one of the most glorious experiences they ever saw. They saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus his, in all of his glory up there, and they got so excited, even God spoke to them out loud up there. And they came down from there and the very next experience they had, they came down and they met the man with the boy that was sick with epilepsy and they couldn't cast the demon out of him. They had no power. You know why? I, I think they were still living up there, enjoying that up there and come down confidence of what happened yesterday instead of what was happening today. Ja Jacob has, has had an experience with God and he's gone further and further away. Do you know when the devil's going to come after you the, the strongest? You know when you're most vulnerable to him? It's right after you have had a real powerful, exciting experience with God and your mind is set on that and you quit watching and you're most vulnerable right then. He's going to get you. That's when he's going to attack. And he's, he's, he's walking away. He's in fear, compromise, lying. Now he's lining up with this and they're coming and says, look, let's intermarry. Father came to Jacob and said, let's intermarry. You take our daughters, we'll take your daughters, let's intermarry. And he considered that. And he, he said, all right. If you'll take part of our religion, be circumcised, 
we'll, we'll do that. They, they, they actually compromised and said, we'll do that. And then, of course, a couple of the sons, Dinah's brothers, did it in deceit. And three days later, after the circumcision, when they were incapacitated, they went in there, Levi and uh, Simeon, I believe it was, uh, went in there and killed them. And I want you to share a verse with you here. And uh, because it's something I want to share next Sunday about this part of it uh, in the next chapter, really. Verse 27, the sons of Jacob came upon, came upon and the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. Not only did they kill them, but they stole from them. And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon, and Levi, you have troubled me to make me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? Now, you know what Jacob is saying? Jacob is in great fear now. But you know why he's in such great fear now? He does not feel now that he has any support from God because of their deeds. You know, in the past, still does it occasionally, rattle, my, rattle me a little bit. But in the past, it used to bother me a lot until I got this relationship with the Lord about forgiveness. Understood. Have you ever been in a life-threatening situation? Huh? Shirley does every time she gets on an airplane. She thinks she's in a life-threatening situation. You know? She doesn't like to fly. That's her life-threatening situation. You know what used to go through my mind when I got in those positions? You know the first thing that comes through my mind? I remember how I disobeyed God and I'm afraid he won't protect me. You ever th think that? When things begin to get bad, your mind begins to think, oh, I remember what I did. And I'm in this position because, and I don't have God's protection. I don't have God's protection because of this sin. And you know that may be true? And that's what Jacob's saying. Jacob's waking up and realizing that he has compromised, he's lied, and things have got worse, and now he's reaping it through his own children. They have now uh, 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 murdered and stolen and defiled, and his daughter's been, been defiled and compromised. And he realizes he's open 
to be attacked. He's defenseless. What do you do? What in the world do you do when you find yourself like that? Well, if it wasn't for God, where would we be? We're going to talk about this next week, but I want to read verse 1 just to prepare you for next week. God said unto Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel. Here it is. You know, it's, it's not because you've sinned. We ought to hate that. We ought to fear that we've, we've opened ourselves up to, for, for the devil to do anything he pleases because of our sin. But there's an answer. See, there's a hope. There's an answer. Go to God. God says, Jacob, rise and go to Bethlehem. Go where I told you to go. Let's come to me and get this thing straightened out. Jesus said, what? All ye that, what? 